Yo! Welcome into episode 88 of the House of L podcast. It's going to be a good one today. Very excited for you to get to know my guests on the podcast today. I took New Year's off because I was in New Orleans and I was hanging out with Panther and we were having a good time and I decided I wasn't going to post anything. And I was going to wait. And I also was, I also felt like everything is so backwards that week. Did you feel like – I remember coming back and being on New Year's Day, New Year's Eve, being like, what day is it? I wasn't really sure. And then we got to New Year's Day, and you're, you're watching the Rose Bowl, and there's something about the Rose Bowl that, even though it only sometimes happens on Sunday, it felt like a Sunday. So – it's like everything's a little out of whack this week. Why don't we just wait until the next week to give you uh, what I think is going to be uh, a, a an episode that you're really, really going to like. So let me give you a little bit of background before we, we get started with our guest. A year ago, I got hit up to go do something over at the Gene Siskel Theater. And I was like, anytime that you could have your name associated with Gene Siskel, I'm down. And there was, I was told there was this film about a baseball player. And since I'm a sports guy, I I could do the Q&A with the star of the film. His name is Phil Donlin. He is from Chicago. He's a Sox fan. You will hear that through and through inside this conversation that we have. He is an, an actor, a director, and a writer. Uh, he's he's powerful. Like when you you talk to him, you, you feel like you're talking to a guy that has a lot of convictions about things. So from that time, I saw the movie twice. I did the Q&A with Phil. We kind of hit it off. He, he's someone who listens to the score a lot, and I appreciate that. So we talk sports a little bit, and we just kind of vibe, and we've become friends since then. And I said to him, I said, because you know, he spends most of his time out in Los Angeles, working on projects, and in fact, he was in the middle of one when he came back to, to come talk with me. I said to him, you know, that I wanted to get him on House of L because it's not that often that I get the chance to talk with actors, working actors who are actually promoting a film. So the name of the film is called High and Outside, and it's it's kind of a darker baseball story. It has to do with a guy who's at the end of his minor league career. He's still trying to make it, and he's trying to figure out how he's going to make it. Before we continue with the introduction, I'm going to play a, a snippet of the preview of it, and I know that this is this is an audio medium and not a visual, but I can tell you that here's what I can tell you. Inside the trailer, there's a lot of – shady stuff like we are in the mind of Phil and we are in the rest of the movie of Phil when he's being told that his playing days are done so this is the trailer for High and Outside I'm gonna be straight up with you I gotta let you go you're just not getting it done I brought you on as a favor to your old man. 
But you're at that stage where you're not putting up numbers. I can't have me out there making me look bad. You're a good base stealer, but correct me if I'm wrong, you can't steal first base. Son, I'm releasing you because you just can't play anymore. Now, I got to do what's best for this team here, son. You're a veteran guy, but I can find a guy who makes half of what you do and plays great defense, who at least makes contact. What is it about you or your character? Okay, you're a great clubhouse guy, you know the game, but you're getting old, and you just don't have it anymore. I'm sorry, Phil, but this is it. Compelling stuff right there. And if you're sitting there going, wait, that voice sounds familiar. The voice is talking to Phil sounds familiar. Well, it should feel familiar because that's Ernie Hudson. Yeah, that Ernie Hudson. He plays Phil's uh, minor league manager. It's, I really enjoy this movie, not just because Phil is on the podcast, but I enjoyed it because a lot of times baseball movies are a little bit more, um, uh, what's the good word here? Ethereal. <laughs> like it's, it's almost so positive that it drives you crazy. I'm, I was really happy that there was a baseball movie to, that gave you a little bit of a taste of what else was going on anyway. Go see the movie. It's going to be available on a lot of platforms once spring training hits. Feels great. I think that you're going to enjoy our conversation. We had a conversation about playing a baseball player. And Phil is straight up about the, the links that he went to look and play like a major league player. We also in here have a conversation about both of the baseball teams in town because he cares about both of them. Um, he's a crazy White Sox fan. I'll just say that before you listen. And we we talked about what it's like for him to be in Hollywood, and he tells just an incredible story about Nicolas Cage. It's worth, like, that right there is makes it all worth it, but I think that you'll enjoy the conversation. Episode 88. Actor, director, writer, friend, Phil Donlin. Last time I saw you, you you had come out to one of my shows, and I appreciate appreciated you coming out. Just like hanging over Bourbon yeah. Street, I think yeah, that's where was, we were. One fifteen yeah. Bourbon Street it was the uh, it was the Bears thing. Yes, it was over on the it was somewhere on the south side. I yeah, think. I think yeah. I think it was Bourbon Street. I think that's where we were at. So yeah. what's been up, man? Well, I got high and outside coming out, which you know very very well. You know, we had the screening at the Siskel, and uh, you know, I'm I'm really really hyped about this movie coming out because uh, you know it's it was years in the making. It's an independent film. Um, you know, baseball guys made it. You know, like real baseball dudes made this this movie, and um, yeah. So, and it's a big deal for me because you know I'm the lead. So it's like, and I'm surrounded by a really great cast. So, uh, so that that's my most exciting thing. I was directing a film in New York because I write and I direct as well. Besides act, so I just got done directing a film. So I was there for like uh, uh, four months, 
got back uh, in the fall. So that was cool. That's about it. I, I got to know what it's like to – you're someone who clearly has a passion for baseball. As you walked in, you're wearing a, a Toronto Blue Jays like <laughs> right. starter jacket and yeah. a Chicago American Giants I'm glad you – yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's amazing how many of those cast people don't realize. But, I mean, the Chicago American Giants, like they used to – they used to get a bunch of people over games on the south side back mm-hmm. in the day. Mm-hmm. So for you to be someone who grew up in Chicago, who loves baseball, what was it like for you to then do a baseball movie? Well, it was it was kind of a dream come true, really, and it didn't it, it and it sort of snuck up on me. Um, so the traditional way you get a part as an actor is that, you know, your agent calls you, you get sent on an audition, you know, type thing. And that didn't really happen. You know, this, you know, I did a play, uh, the Sam Shepard play, uh, with, uh, Jeffrey Lewis, who plays my father, the late, great Jeffrey Lewis, uh, cause he passed away after, literally after he got done filming, he passed away. Um, I know, sorry. Um, so I'm doing this play. Eval Johnson, the guy who directed this picture, comes and sees the play. Jeff's wife makes a comment at like an after party. And he's standing next to me and she goes, you two should play father and son. So he proceeds to sort of write this movie uh, for Jeff and I to play father and son. And it's really sort of like Eval's experience being a clubby in baseball because of his dad, Tim Johnson, Mm -hmm. who's that Toronto Blue Jays jacket, by the way, is Tim's jacket. That's he gave that sweet. to me. Yeah. And so um, so that's sort of what I'm talking about. That's what sort of snuck up on me because I didn't know what I was in for. You know, so Evald, you know, basically said I want to make a real baseball movie from what I know baseball to be. Not the sort of romantic – you know, sort of like the natural and these things that romanticize baseball, which is all a part of it too. Um, but he was like, we don't have this other kind of movie yet. And this is the one I kind of want to, I want to make. So like he, he was, he's right. Cause I mean, there are, there, there's kind of the, the pastoral type baseball movies and there's the comedies. Right. I mean, I, I've seen high and outside a couple times now. There's nothing really like it when it comes to the genre Right. Of a baseball movie. Right. Absolutely. I, I agree. Um, I mean, when I was, you know, and I've known, I knew Evald, obviously I knew Evald before High and Outside um, came to be. So I would hear his stories. And I would say after meeting Evald is when I really learned about the game of baseball and really got to appreciate it. And it was a slow sort of progression because I would hear all of his stories, you know, that he would tell. And I would be like, wow, this is like, this is, you know, as a baseball nerd, I was like, this is, this is super cool to hear that he like borrowed money from Sandy Koufax on the bus mm. one time, you know, because his dad did a lot of AAA managing for the, for the Dodgers. Um, so, so anyway, so, so to, you know, to catch up, he's, you know, he said, look, I want to make this very real baseball story from my perspective. And he saw baseball as, a, as something that was very dark. So he didn't see it as romantic. And I'm not saying that, you know, and I don't think he's saying that's how this is for everybody. But what I learned most about baseball players is that the baseball life mainly happens off field. And that was the biggest thing I learned. And then, 
you know, he said, okay, we're going to do this movie. Uh, the other thing I want is I want you to really be able to play. You know, and I could play, but not like, but he was like, I want you to look it in the, in the movie. And, the, you know, in the baseball sequence in the movie at the beginning is, is fairly short, but I still played in a game, in a double-A game. So he really wanted me to, and I think he wanted me to see the life. So this is where I sort of didn't realize how much of a dream this was going to be yet. So when he, and Tim Johnson really arranged it all. So when I'm at dinner with Roger Clemens, and then the next day Roger's like, come down, I'm going to throw BP to my son. Why don't you come? And like, I'll throw BP to you. You know, just these insane experiences where I'm hanging out with like all, you know, just like all of these legends that like I grew up watching, you know, um, and, and, and so for me, that was, that was when I realized, I'm like, this is, this is even cooler than shooting the movie. I mean, the movie was like, okay, right? I mean, that was, it was fun to do, but like the experiences I had, you know, like hanging out with Wally Backman, hearing all those stories that I probably can't tell right now, <laughs> you know, about that Mets team. And what they would yell on the plane as their plane landed in every city, you know, that, cra- you know, all the stuff about Gooden and straw, you know, just like, and I mean, and a lot of grit, not like trash talky stuff, but just a lot of great stuff. And then that's when I was like, so I realized, you know, what, what, a, what a baseball life was really like. And then at the same time, I realized I love being a fan. I love being a fan because these dudes... They're the best of the best. So to be to to be on that field, even the worst player in baseball in MLB, is is better than the best guy in AAA, you know. And to to see how elite you have to be to play, because a lot of guys they play, you know, they play the Sunday league ball, they play, you know, and they're like, and I think, you know, those the guys on the field, even the worst player makes it look really easy, and it's really. Tough. I so, got, I got yeah. a real awake. My awakening was I played baseball through college, and so I got I got invited to those uh, to three of the open tryouts, like the regional tryouts. I got invited to those, and the first thing they have you do is you have to run the sixty. So you have to run second home. Like they mm-hmm. want to, know, and they said, "Okay, here's the goal: if you don't make it in eight seconds, go home." So there's probably 15 of us there. And then poof, eight of those guys were gone. Right. And then you move on to the next section. All right, well, now we're going to have you, like you're an infielder? Yes. We're going to have you take take grounders from shortstop and throw. Mm-hmm. And if you don't throw this hard, mm-hmm. then you got to go. Mm. And so then there's another couple guys who are gone. I made it all the way to the hitting. Yeah. And I used to be able to hit. I can't hit for any power. Yeah. And they were like, no. So like even even at the just trying to break in level, I saw guys that were high school stars be sent home just summarily yeah. Yeah. dismissed because right. of the level of play that it takes right. to make it to the next level. So so I'd love to know what was the training like to get you from guy who loves baseball, guy who probably played baseball, yeah. to guy who has to look like a professional playing baseball. Yes. 
Yeah. Um, well, because um, you were ripped. You were ripped yeah. up, man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I was also. I mean, I. I mean, it doesn't matter. I can say this because I'm not a sports player. I mean, I did do steroids for the movie, like for that time, because they really wanted that, like. Massy, and I remember like when we were getting ready to do the movie because I knew the scenes and I've got you know I've got nude scenes in the movie you know and I I remember telling the director I'm like all right man I'm gonna get ripped I'm like f Jake Gyllenhaal I'm gonna get me a a twelve pack I'm like he goes no 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 he goes you're not you're not you're not getting a twelve pack no we want you to have a beer belly I'm like what he's like yeah he's like you're a dude on the out he goes most baseball play you know and i was like oh i was i was getting ready to do a very hollywood version of this character and you know i mean credit to evald i mean he kept it rooted in reality he's like that is not the kind of movie we're doing but i was i mean i did i mean i worked out i was like i mean i think i weigh 170 now when i was doing the roids and i was um and i was working out i think it was 210 so my regular clothes didn't fit me anymore, even hats, because your head, everything on your body gets gets bigger. Were you worried at all about side effects or anything like that? No, <laughs> I wasn't. I mean, I think that's kind of the thing. Like, I, maybe that's what makes you know an actor an actor or something. It's just you're just sort of like uh, whatever you do, whatever you need to do for the role, right? I mean, you just kind of do whatever you need to do. I guess in the some in the same way that like a lot of ball players who took steroids and did what they needed to do, right, to hit home run, to stay relevant, to stay in the game. Like, you know, um, that was the other thing I learned, too, was, like, um, the the amount of, pre- you know, the 90s, which was that steroid era, I guess. I mean, you would probably even know more than me on this, but um, but that's, you know, what I learned. A lot of these guys would talk to me, and they're like, yeah, well, there was a lot of pressure. Like, that's all they wanted in the 90s, home runs, bombs, bombs, bombs. You had to be you had to be like Jose Canseco where you're hitting the ball and it's bouncing off the moon. And that's what people kind of wanted to see, you know? So it was like there wasn't really a place so much for the utility guy anymore. Right. There used to be that. Like, Tim Johnson was essentially like he would tell me a ton of stories. I mean, he was the uh, – Robin Yount is Evald's godfather. That's who I, who pretty I, great yeah. godfather to have. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Who I've also met. Um, but Tim Johnson even said, he goes, yeah, I, was, I was a utility guy. He goes, I was, playing, I was playing shortstop until this guy came along, you know, and, he, and I was all of a sudden. One of the greatest sudden, players of all time. Yeah, and he, and he goes, and I was sent to second base, you know. Um, and, but he, Tim made a great career for himself as a utility guy and then that was sort of lost anyway but back to the steroid thing it was like um it did help a lot you know uh how did you feel while you were doing it like did you could you notice like a difference in your approach to the day like did you have more energy did you feel stronger because i don't know if i've ever talked with someone who's done steroids about doing steroids um you definitely feel stronger I felt amazingly str- – like I would go to the gym. I mean you still got to like work out and do it. But like once you're go- – I mean I was putting up double what I would normally do with ease. And, um, you know, the, you would see it pretty soon after. Like you would go to the gym. You'd see almost instant results. And it did help with when I was playing um, because when I made contact, I mean – I could I could really hit it in a way that I don't I couldn't normally have have done before. Now, the one thing I learned though is you 
just doing steroids, which is sort of why I sort of, you know, feel that um, a lot of this talk about ball players and steroids and like, oh, they don't, they don't deserve the credit. If they did steroids, they're cheating. I don't know about that because you still have to have that elite level of talent to be able to hit the ball at 96 miles an hour or whatever is it, you know what I mean? Like to play a hundred, what is it? 162 games a year. Like you still have, you just can't be like some slouch that you take steroids and all of a sudden you can hit and, you know, so you still need to have the, the skill level and the talent. So um, that's what I had to really work at. But I had Pedro Guerrero as my hitting coach. So, you know, and his only advice to me was hit ball, run like rabbit. That's all he said to me all the time. Hit ball, run like rabbit. Um, so it was cool. I mean, it was like, uh, yeah, the, in, the, in the steroids thing, it was, um, yeah, it was, it was pretty interesting because I hit two, two um, I mean, granted, it was batting practice, but I mean, at least I get to say it. Roger Clemens, when he's throwing me batting practice, I hit two, two bombs off of him. In batting practice. How'd that go over with Roger? Well, in the, the first one, not very well because I... Uh, you pimped it? I pimped it because I didn't know that I was pimping it. <laughs> I, was just, I was just looking at it. I, I hit it and I kind of you know, went through on the swing and I held the bat and I was like, I, I think I even started walking down the first baseline because I just wanted to follow it to make sure it was going to go out and it went out and then Roger, he's like, oh, you were pimping it and everyone was just kind of making fun of me. Um, there were other like players, watch, you know, legends like, um, like uh, uh, Clemens watching. Um, and I was like, oh, no, 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 I wasn't, I, I didn't, you know. No, he goes, sir, I was not goes, doing that. Okay, and so then when I got back in the box, he gave me the old famous chin music, which I feel was an honor, frankly, to get. But it scared the You, you know, said we're on the podcast. Okay. It scared the shit out of me, man. I mean, and he's just throwing BP, right? And this is what I'm talking about. Like him at his age, he didn't play anymore. He's he's not, but wow. I mean, when I would get thrown BP by let's say like Wally Backman or or Pedro Guerrero, you know, or whatever, there's a difference. Clemens. When he threw me that chin me, uh, that's where you know. That's where you're like, this dude is an elite athlete. To be able to just do what he did casually, all, and probably didn't even put everything he had into it. Precision, right under my chin. I was shaking, you know, um, especially because at dinner the night before he talked about. He was like, the one thing you knew about me was you don't dig in on me on the in the. And he told me all the stories. And he's like, you do not dig in on me in the bat. And he would tell about all – he told me all the dudes who dug in on him and what he did and where he would throw it and all this other – you know, he was a monster, man. Clemens was a monster. Walk me through this yeah. moment. You, you get into the box. You probably know what's coming because you had the dinner and you didn't realize that you had pimped the home run. Right. What's happening in your head during this at bat? I'm going to get me number two. <laughs> Really? I'm like, I'm going to get me number two now. Yeah, because I did the first one, and his son, Kobe, um, you know, he was saying, he saw me do it. He was like, what? You know, he was impressed. He was like, wow, hey, look at that. He was like, all right, let's go for number two. So I got back in. I'm feeling strong. Like I'm, And then it came, and my, and my knees shook. Like my knees were like wobbly. I was like a Looney Tunes cartoon. 
You know what I mean? I was like, oh, man. You know, I backed out. And he said, he goes, no, look, look, look. He goes, you know I wasn't going to hit you, right? I wasn't going to hit you. It's all right. It's all right. I'm like, oh, my God. I'm like, wow. You know, and it's not only – it's it's not until – because when I got back in the box, because I crowd the plate typically, I stepped – he goes, no, come on. I'm not going to do it again. <laughs> I'm just like, I don't care. I'm too scared. I'm scared. Um, but it was only until like later that night where I'm like, that's fucking cool, man. I got chin music from – how many people get to say that they had that experience? Right. He also told me um, – who to- was it Pete – I, I got so many good stories, man. This is, this is the thing. It's like I, I think doing this movie ma- really made me a fan and appreciate – like now I go to a ball game, I look at the whole thing completely differently. I don't, I don't see it the same way anymore. I'm not sitting there like going like this guy sucks. Fuck this guy. Like what, what are they doing with this? You know, it's like I realize like how – You know how the sausage is Tough it is now, you know. So it's like I got a, I got a mad respect that I didn't have before. Pete Incavilia. Inky. Inky, who um, gave me his baseball pants. I'm not sure why because, I mean, they're as big as my whole body. <laughs> <laughs> and he's like, he's like, you know, because I was like at this this camp uh, for a while. I was like, here, if you need an extra pair of pants. I'm like, for what? Like a body bag? Like you're nine feet tall. But he told me the Ventura story. What really happened with him and Ryan, with Nolan Ryan. Sure. So, which I thought was good. That's that's where I was getting off as like this like baseball nerd getting to hear all these stories. He was like, yeah, he's like, this is what happened. He goes, uh, and I and this is the way Ventura told it to Inky, Inky, is that you know Ryan throws it at him, and he ducks out of the way, you know, and Ventura says that you know motion sort of spun him around in a circle. And he found himself when he was done sort of spinning around with his momentum moving toward Ryan. Yeah. And he felt like at that point he had no other option. But he says as he was running out there, he was like, I'm going to get my ass beat, which is exactly what happened because, you know, Ryan was a big dude. Yeah, big, big angry man. Pounded on Ventura. But he said afterwards they were like totally cool about it. He was like, yeah, sorry, you know. Just the other thing I kind of learned about the baseball guys too, you know, which is which was really really cool. I heard a lot about Joe Madden as well. Um, Joe was, was a minor league legend, mm-hmm. and all these guys knew him, um, and learned a lot about, you know, what to, you know. I heard a ton of stories about Renteria, like real inside Renteria stuff about like how how people really felt what went down with him with the Cubs on the north side, like hearing his boys who like bench coached with him or, you know, at other organizations. They're like, fuck the Cubs, man. What they did to Renteria was fucking wrong. Fuck them assholes. And all these dudes in the room are like, yep, yep. They did him wrong. You know, just like, so I was getting like the real, like the real deal type info from, you know, all these guys. It was super interesting. I was like, man, baseball, Baseball, and then also to learn that how much baseball has changed. So everyone's talking about, you know, what is it? Who's this pitcher that has got this insane money? Garrett Cole? Yeah, $325 million. Guaranteed. Yeah, yeah. Guaranteed. Yeah. To hear hear that, you know, talking to these guys like Tim Johnson, you know, um, 
you know, to hear that in the off season, Sandy Koufax had another job. Sandy Koufax had another job at some point in his career because you just didn't make that kind of money, right? And these dudes, when they retired, that's why I was thinking about, I'm like, you know what? That's right, because, like, when we were kids, our dad took us to um, to a, a sports memorabilia thing. I got a, a ball signed by Mickey Mantle. Yeah. Dude had to, like, he was— Those guys he, were making a lot of money doing that because yeah, they didn't— they had to. I, I work—and it, it's even, even now. So on Sundays, I do this show with a bunch of Bears players. So Alex Brown, Matt Forte, Lance Briggs, and Olin Krutz. The anger that they feel looking at the guaranteed money in the NBA and MLB mm. when the, when the Garrett Cole thing happened, Alex and I were talking. He's going three hundred twenty five million, and he goes all of it's guaranteed. Like, yeah, he's going to get every penny mm. of that. He's like, that is now. Alex is smart. Alex has a son. Yeah, Alex's son doesn't play football. Mm. Alex's son plays baseball. And got just it. just got a scholarship oh, wow. to play baseball okay. uh, in college. It is amazing. And you'll see, it's so funny, July 1st, usually you see it because of the Bobby Bonilla contract, mm-hmm. where, where it, it's called Bobby Bonilla Day mm-hmm. because he gets the $1.28 million okay. per year until right. 2035, I believe it is, from yeah. the Mets still. Right. Those guys go bananas. NBA free agency, you can just... You can see the hate coming through Twitter from NFL players. <laughs> right. who are like, wait, what? Yeah. That guy sucks, yeah. and he got $60 million guaranteed? Mm-hmm. Tom Brady will make more money off the field than he ever made on it. Yeah. You know, it's, right. it, it's amazing, like, where the dollars have gone and, and how people react to it, how things have changed. It's a different – and that's – yeah, and that's what I've learned is that it's a different game. Like, these – a lot of, you know, I guess we could call them like old timers, right? I mean, they're like even like a, a dude like Backman who's still, look, he's still making a play to try to manage in the big leagues. He should. He's really good. You know, he told me about his interview with Kenny Williams. I will not repeat it. All right. I, I don't know if I should, but, you know, it was like I learned I learned a lot about, you know. How the White Sox How the White Sox team. operate, right? And I love the White Sox. I'm a diehard White Sox fan, that's my team. You know, I love them. I love them. I love them. I love them. You know, but, you know, I know that there's better dudes out there than Renteria, who's good. He's good, you know, but I heard a lot of, you know, when I'm hearing, you know, dudes he's played with go like, he's like a minor league manager. You know, and it's like, all right, you know, so I'm so you you start to understand the game and see how these things go and in the, in, you know, how baseball has changed, I think, with, like, the David Ross thing, you know, as Backman, 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 I'll call him that. I just coined it. Yeah. He's, he's got a new superhero name. I'm going to call Back him, yeah. Backman. Backman is here, and he's got alcohol in both hands at all times to get you drunk. Anytime, me and Backman have had a lot of those nights. Um, anyway, but um, <laughs> Wally, I'll just call him Wally. Wally was like, look, they want yes men. That's what these organizations want these days. That's what they want. You know, and, and that was in reference to his Kenny Williams interview that he had for the job. Um, not saying that he hasn't – I mean, he admittedly, I mean, he's, he's made it harder for himself than it's needed to be um, with off-the-field stuff. But, um, you know, I mean, he's – dude, 
Wally is like should be managing, you know, and he'll he'll keep trying until he dies. And he's he's really, really good. You know, the stuff that happened to Tim Johnson was wrong and Tim is still managing, you know, and all these guys are still um, working because they kind of have to because they just weren't, you know, again, they just didn't make the money Mm -hmm. that that they that they should have made. And. And that's how much the game has changed, you know, and a lot of these guys, they look at it and they're like, ah, you know, love baseball, but it's not the game I played. When I played, it wasn't like this. Of course, too, as we know, it was also, it was, you know, it was, it was, it was nastier back in the day. For sure. Yeah, you know, it was nastier. And now it's a little more, you know, when, when I would hear stories, you know, TJ told me stories, um, Played with, uh, he calls him, you know, Henry, Henry Aaron. Mm. He played with him at uh, at the end of his career, Henry's career. And he goes, you know, before every at-bat, he'd, he'd go down to the locker, take a swig of gin, go back up. You know, that, you know, I mean, I mean, even Wally said that. He goes, you know, you could do interviews with beers in your hand. You can't do that stuff anymore. No, that's... You know, that's all changed, you know. Um, they've definitely, they've definitely cleaned that aspect of the scrub maybe might be a better word right. that aspect of the game right out of it i i meant to ask you this when we were doing the q a and i thought about it this morning knowing that you were going to come in how much of the life of the minor league player can you attach to the life of the working actor it's extremely similar it's extremely similar. The only difference is, is that you don't. Well, unless you're a female in Hollywood, um, it's that's different. But uh, being a man in Hollywood, there's no shelf life. You know, you can make it at really any age. You know, it's not like it, uh, and you can keep working until un, un, until you just feel like you can't. Jeff Lewis is the perfect example. He died making Hein Outside. I mean, we he, he shot his scenes. We were still shooting the movie. We shot him out because he had had a, a stroke previous to, to filming. And, I mean, it, it was like a month later or something like that. He passed away. So, I mean, he did it all the way up until the end. Um, that's not the case um, if you're a minor league ball player. I mean, you definitely have a shelf life. And then you have to figure out if you're going to be like a scout, like a, you know, uh, what's his uh, – um, you know, Yount's son. Um, his name's Dustin. I played with him. He uh, he realized he wasn't gonna he wasn't gonna make it, and so he went into uh, he's with some organization. He's scouting now. Um, so you can kind of, I guess, extend, and, and that's in the movie. Like the agent Benny Castillo. He's trying, me. trying desperately to convince you, and he does say that line. He goes, "Look, you can be." You know, put the bat down and then become a scout. Now you're a young guy again type thing. You can have a new career. But <clears throat> but with that said, the life is very, very similar. It's very, very tough. Um, a lot of people want to do it. Um, and, you know, it's more it's more valleys than peaks, you know. Um, it's, a lot of, it's a lot of heartache, which I think is the – experience of a lot of ball players, you know. Um that's what I saw. 
and I related a lot to those guys, man. And and it's like it's it's tough. There's, I mean, you know, I write, direct, and act, so I can make a living. You know, if I was just acting, I don't know, it would be a lot tougher. You know, I'll tell you that much. So it's like, and in the same way, my co-star in High and Outside, Jason Richter, who was the the little kid in all the Free Willy movies, mm. you know, and he had quite a career even into like his 20s. Dude was making millions of dollars and then he made no money and had no career for a really long time and he's... St- so when he did Hide Outside, he was sort of like doing it as like to do like a comeback thing, which he has. But, you know, it's like when you used to check your bank account, you had a couple million, you know, it's like you have two million dollars and, you know, and <laughs> now it's they're saying you got two dollars in your account. You know, it's a it is it's um, yeah, man. I mean, I think it's it's very similar, um, very, very similar. And then the other thing I noticed, too, is that all actors want to be baseball players and all baseball players want to be actors. So, because when we when Roger Clemens and I had dinner, he was telling me all about uh, his movie he did with Tommy Lee Jones. Uh, I th- he was in something with oh, Ty, the Ty Cobb thing. Yes, he was in that, and he was so he was talking all to me about pitching with uh, with um, uh, Tommy Lee Jones, and uh, he was asking me a lot of questions about acting. He was super, you know, he was really really into it. And then of course I'm on the other side asking talking about, about baseball. Yeah, so it was it was cool that way, you know. Yeah. What do you like? What does directing give you that acting doesn't? Well, first of all, I'm like, I don't have to worry about what I look like to show up to set. You know, it's a whole different ball game. It's a very uh, heady experience in the way that acting is not. So if you talk to any actor who's worth their weight, the one thing we'll all agree on is that you never want to be in your head. As an actor, and and I, and I that's similar to baseball too. Yeah, you never want to be in your head. It's just like you just want to kind of do it, and that sounds like sort of a, 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 a sort like of a, oversimplification, yeah, of it. But it, that it really is that. It's like you just really don't want to be thinking about it. You always want to be loose. Um, and as an actor, even though you've got your lines and your marks, you have to hit. And if you're on take five or whatever it is, you still want to just be in the moment so you can always have some kind of electric, wonderful thing that's that, you know, that you, you want the camera to capture, you know. Um, directing is the total opposite. You have to be on your game at every single like you. I mean, you you're you're the captain of this like ship and there's tons of people who are looking to you to uh, tell them to move on or if you have to do another take. You have actors wondering if their performances were good enough. You've got uh, production design asking you a question like, is that that picture on the back wall? You know, the frame was pink. Uh, We switched it to blue. What do you think? You know, and you're like, I don't know. You know, I mean, there's just stuff coming at you all of the time. And, um, you know, I think in a lot of ways that like, you know, a manager, you know, or a coach – I mean, you're you're the you're the dude. If you lose your temper on set, everyone's going to lose their temper on set. You know, um, so Have you had you any experiences like that as an actor, where like there's a director, like like oh, wow, I guess it's going to be yeah. like this then. Oh yeah, yeah. I did this. That's how I met uh, David Preval actually. 
um, who's in Hine Outside. Um, we did this terrible movie uh, with this director, well-known director. His name's Henry Jaglum. He, he, he did a lot of stuff in the 70s and 80s with like Nicholson and Dennis Hopper and stuff like that. Um, we did one of his later movies, you know, it's like a paycheck film, you know, type thing. But the cast was amazing because everyone wanted to work with him. This dude was a maniac. He screamed and yelled at people all the time to the point where people were frightened of him. Uh, Noah Wiley was my, was my scene partner in one of these scenes. And I was sitting there. So I got on set for the first day and I'm sitting on set and I'm reading the script and I hear this voice over my shoulder and he's like, why are you reading that? And I turn around, it's Noah. I'm like, oh, hey, nice to meet you. He's like, hey, just want to introduce myself. I was like, what do you mean? Why am I reading that? He goes, that script doesn't fucking matter. I'm like, really? He goes, yeah. He's like, just wait until, you know, type thing. He goes, just wait until you see. So the scene before mine, this act, they were shooting, it was, we were shooting in this mansion up in the Mulholland Drive somewhere in L.A., they're in some library room of this mansion shooting. We're all in this other portion of the house, like, waiting to, like, you know, I'm waiting for them to, you know, do the next scene, which I'm in. And I just hear screaming and yelling. And one of the actors runs out and he goes, fuck this. I'm fucking done. I'm done with this bullshit. Fuck this asshole. I'm out of here. I quit. He's screaming. The director comes out. He's yelling and all this other stuff. And Noah's sitting right next to me. He's like, you ready? I'm like, oh, my <laughs> Lord. <laughs> so, yeah, because everyone was on pins and needles. And when I would talk to people about doing his movie, they would go, well, if the, if the paycheck wasn't good enough, I wouldn't be here. You know, so and then there's other directors who can command actors to work for very, very little because it's a really positive, wonderful experience and they get the best work. Um, so, yeah, I've had both experiences. Yeah. When you're watching an acting performance, what moves you? Not your own, but you're you're watching someone who you think is good or maybe you walk past a, a movie and you sit there and you go, wow, this person's really good at their job. Like, what mm-hmm. gets to you? Um, I find when I'm watching an actor and when I fall in love with the performances, it's when they're not speaking. It's in their reaction shots. A really great actor who's nuanced and knows what they're doing. Always just what I, you know, it's an old term. Acting is reacting, at least on film. I mean, theater is a different piece, which I've done as well. Um, When an actor has no lines and he's just lit and you're just watching an actor listen to another actor speaking, that's when you know how good someone is. When you see stuff going on you know, um, with nothing, no lines, no speaking, nothing like that. I'm going, I'm watching someone really fantastic and great, which is why I think, um, you know, the people talk about Brando. So, you know, actors, they worship at his altar, you know, Brando, it's, um, he was wonderful. It was wonderful to just watch do nothing. You know, he can move a coffee cup to their side of the table. People are like, Oh my God, did you see that? You know, um, so that's what moves me um, as an actor and somebody who's like um, very young. I had the pleasure of getting to meet Al Pacino. I was still I was in college here uh, in theater school, in Chicago, and I got to meet him. And I asked him. Uh, I don't remember how I put it, 
but it was a very like ridiculous question. But he answered it so wonderfully, and I was I was I said something like, "How do I become like? How do I do what you do performance wise?" I was essentially asking him, and he said, "Well, you know, my thing is I'm not afraid to make a fool of myself." So he said, "I'll do every take differently," and a lot of those moments end up. In the, in the movies, which is what sometimes people end up parodying, but it's only because it's so crazy and different. Um, Nicolas Cage, I met, we, Hein Outside was playing Cinequest, a film festival. So this was a couple of years ago, and this is up in um, San Jose. They were given Cage a, a Lifetime Achievement Award. We ended up at the same after party, and I started talking to, to Cage um, and I was like, you're like, hands down, one of my favorite fucking actors. You're just, I'll watch you do anything. I'll watch this guy do anything. I think he's fascinating and so good. And I was like, I don't, I don't, um, I don't get it, man. I'm like, all these people who give you a hard time about being over the top, I don't get it. And in true Nick Cage fashion, he's like, yeah, you know what I tell him? Show me where the top is. Like, you know, like. Like he fucking wrote the line. <laughs> like he was just, it was like we were doing a scene. He's even a superhero in regular life. Like he's just a badass. Like I'm just like, I just said some shit. And he's like, you know what I say? Show me where the top is. But it's very true. It's very true. What, who who are these people who say, you know what I mean? So like, um, so anyway, when I watch guys like that and I can watch Cage do nothing and he's brilliant. He's so good. I heard Patrick Stewart talking about that. Exactly what you're you're saying. He said acting is in the face. Yeah. It's like that's where it is. Is that and that you can tell a lot by how someone is just handling the role. And like you're saying, when there are no lines, like you still have to be present Mm. in, in the scene with your face. Right. It's crazy. Who's your who's your top actors? I mean, look, I'm not in a position like you like I don't well, it doesn't matter. I mean, we all, I mean, look, I mean, you watch a movie, you know what's good, you know what's not good. I, I mean, Denzel, obviously. What's your favorite Denzel movie? It's it's Training Day. Mm. Also, Devil in a Blue Suit. I think that he's really good in that movie. But, and it's funny because that, the whole idea of your face telling the story, I'm going to give his co-star props for that. Mm. Ethan Hawke, there's the scene in Training Day when Ethan Hawke has figured out he has been lied to, he has been set up, and that this guy has tried to kill him. He's on the bus, and there are no lines. There's just a great score, and it's just his face. Mm. And you see the rage that is just bubbling underneath yeah. the surface. Yeah. And some shit's about to go down. Like, yeah. you like you don't have to know anything else about that movie. Right. But you see him on the bus, and you know when he gets off this bus, there's going to be some sort of reckoning. Mm-hmm. I forget the young lady's name. Uh, she's s- super young. She was in the, the last, in the Wolverine movie. I can't remember her name, but mm-hmm. she must have been 12 or 13 when she did. She's from Spain. Okay. I thought her performance in that movie was was Oscar worthy mm. because she was doing it, it she was really acting with like for a 12 or 13 year old to show that level of rage right. to me I thought was incredible 
Uh, and I thought that her and Hugh Jackman like actually played off of each other, and mm. and he's in basically that movie is a western, even though it's a superhero movie, it's oh, really sure. a absolutely. western, absolutely. And, and yeah. seeing that play out throughout the movie and her performance, I thought was was phenomenal. I'm, I'm trying to think of who else other people that I will stop and watch, like no matter what they're doing. Um, By the way, my Denzel one is Malcolm X. It's the Malcolm X movie. I, I mean, and, and look, Training Day is great too. I just, per, but I, I mean, because Malcolm X, I'm going like this is epic. And if it was any other movie than Malcolm X, I think people would be talking about it a lot more. I just think it's because he, you know, Malcolm X is sort of a guy who's gotten like, you know, you, you know, a, a, a little bit of a slight in the history books. That isn't totally true, but uh, I thought his performance was phenomenal. Spike Lee said that the Training Day Oscar. Was for yeah. <laughs> what Denzel had done and Spike in Lee Malcolm X. does not mince words, and he's right. And he got snubbed on Do the Right Thing. He got it, you know, for Bla- you know he got it. Well, they didn't even get it for Black Klansman, but um, but uh, he got the lifetime. Yeah, but you know, but it's true. But anyway, you were saying, but I love I lo- Denzel is in a lot like Nicolas Cage. He's always interesting to watch always interesting to watch you know like even if he's in a really bad movie which he's been in some bad movies sure so is Nicolas Cage always still interesting to watch and that's to me what makes a great actor because you're going this movie's a dog this guy's carrying it on his shoulders I'll watch Philip Seymour Hoffman do anything yeah he's a great actor and I'll watch Matt Damon do pretty much anything yeah yeah like, like that's a stop and watch guy. Like, oh, it's Philip Seymour Hoffman movie. Let me yeah, see Phil, what he's doing. Phil Hoffman's amazing. Oh, yeah, there's so much. God, yeah, we could get into the whole thing. To Nick or John Turturro, I, I also. Oh, my God. He, yeah. he was. Uh, and and uh, John Turturro, the, his last couple roles where he's just really invested in the weird. Mm-hmm. And he just doesn't give a fuck. Like, nope. I'm just going to do this thing. Yeah. Absolutely, and and uh, I I I've gained an appreciation for Stephen Dorff after the this last uh, what's the name of the show on HBO the the cop show I can't believe I've forgotten the name of it him and Mahershala Ali hmm. like this past year True Detective True oh right I and I heard Dorff on um, Mark Maron's podcast talking about acting okay and I really I I already kind of liked him hmm. but. Watching him go through that that transfer that physical transformation that they had those two guys do, where they were playing the same characters at five different points in their lives, and yeah. how they handled it, and how the, how intricate they were with like the walking, and I you know you have to walk like you're mm-hmm. walking like a seventy year old man. Right. It's a different gait than someone right. who's thirty five. Correct. Like all of those things, like trying to appreciate some of the 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 stuff that goes into a performance like that. Yeah. I find it fascinating. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, absolutely. I just read. <laughs> it was funny. I just read for Dorf's new show called Deputy. Yes. I just read for a, a series regular on that. They haven't shot the pilot yet. That's just like a, some kind of teaser that they shot. But they have not shot. They're shooting the pilot right now. So, but he, agent calls. It's like, we, you know, knows him in Chicago. So she's like, you got to put yourself on tape. Yeah, they requested to see you. So I, I put my brother, I go, we're staying at my parents. I'm like, you got to come over and you got to read Dorf's role. So, so your brother got He's to off Dorf. camera reading Dorf. <laughs> 
I'm upstairs in like my old bedroom putting this thing on tape. I'm like, oh boy. Yeah. What what's it like for for family and friends to see you having the type of success that you're having now? I hope good. I mean, you can ask my brother. He's sitting right here. I mean, it's it's cool. I mean, I'm I I mean, especially because I think like for a good amount of time my parents thought I was a little crazy wanting to do it. They weren't sure about it, I don't think. Um and then eventually they were um I think they were like okay he's he's going to make a run for it and he's really going to do it but I th- I mean I think it's cool I mean um I know that um you know I <laughs> my brother's been around it a lot you know All right well, wait watch this yeah. I'm going to swing the mic yeah, to swing those dude. what did you say Well you know it's uh it's interesting it's it's the path that was made for him you know from growing up as a kid seeing him the things that we did the things he'd make me get into with him um he used to do these haunted houses in the neighborhood every year. So, But he would gather the kids around. It would be a performance, right? And he would direct it and get it all in. And I would always be there as a sidekick. So as he's grown and done theater and acting, it, it's, it's for me, it's, you know, the path that he chose. And it, it's, it's odd and surreal when I see him in these really cool moments like High and Outside, like roles that I think that were kind of made for him, right? Um, and there's other roles where I'm like, man, that is a really – dog shit acting job like where did you go like how did you get he's like it's a paycheck it's it's you know what it is but uh it's very cool it's nice you know um so it, it's cool to kind of share it with them and and see it from the different side that you know kind of you and i would see it from normally right so what what's the most starstruck that you've been because oh, of God. him oh this is hysterical i was like 23 no, I I right out of college right 23, 22, we were at Sundance for uh, a film. He had a short film in there. And so uh, this is kind of my first glimpse into that world, right? So they're off doing stuff. I'm just kind of watching camera work and just kind of hanging around. And I bump into Pauly Shore, right? Pauly Shore of all people. He's there and he engages me, talks to me. And I thought this was the greatest thing. So I'm like, Pauly Shore, I just saw you on MTV like last week or something. You know, this is, this is when he's still doing the weasel stuff and all that. And uh, I, I, it was pretty neat. And the thing that kicked it off for me first was because no one could really care who the heck I was there. You know, if they'd come up and talk to you and then they knew that you could not do anything for them or their career, they would just dismiss you. So I was pretty much just sitting there twiddling my thumbs at like after parties and things. But he, would, he came up to me at one of the after parties. He's like, hey, I remember you. You're name's Paul too. Come on over. And he brought me in and kind of hung out with him for the night. So that was like my first dip into it, which was really cool. Um, you know, so that that's kind of when I was first kind of star, starstruck. Yeah, yeah. And, I do, and I do have to, to say, because this is the beauty of it, because there's another perspective of this story. Uh-huh. Again, we're at Sundance. Nobody also cares that Paulie Shore is there either. <laughs> so, so the fact that he was the only dude at Sundance that was freaking out that he was seeing Paulie Shore, and I, and so not to take away from the moment, but we thought it was hilarious because he ran up, he ran up, and he threw his. At the time, it was a disposable camera, you know, because this was back in like 2003 or whatever when I was there with uh, my movie, and and like he threw the camera at me. He's like, "Take the picture." So, of course, yeah, Paulie Shore was, like, hunting that's, you down. He's like, where's my one fan? That's so great. Fans of each other. Yeah, that's true. The two Pauls. Uh, let me get back to High and Outside yeah. before we, we wrap things up. I really enjoyed the movie, and I, I thought that you took a lot of risk. And now, knowing, you know, you also took actual risk uh, to, to get this movie done. For the, 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 the baseball fan that 
loves the classical stories of baseball, why are they going to cross over and be like, oh, that seems like a different type of baseball movie? Why are they going to be interested in it? Because if you were if you were a real um, fan of the game, um, baseball to me, and and I don't want to alienate any audience, but baseball is a very father son event. I think, um, I think it's always been that way, um, and this is this movie is a father son film with baseball. As its backdrop, um, you know Jeff Lewis playing, you know a, a, a Tim Johnson type or a Sandy Cove, a guy who was a big deal Major League Baseball player who really has nothing anymore, and his son who's desperately, you know, beating a dead horse with trying to be a ball player and he'll never be that. It's also in a, in a very similar desperate position. Um, and so I think anybody who's a real fan of the game will will love this film just for that storyline. Um, but I think also, um, you know, if, you, if you're a real fan of the game, it's a glimpse. Again, I didn't know that like we were talking at the top of the, the, the show, you know, I wasn't aware of how dark baseball could be. Until I did this movie. And I, so I think it, it does, if you're a real fan of the game, you, need, you should do yourself the service of seeing both sides of the sport, you know, because they're both very real, you know. Um, it's definitely not a film, per se, for kids, although Bernstein's kid, you know, he came to the Cisco. He, I was sort of like, I was like, I was like, Bernstein, man, I don't know, man. This film's like, he's like, ah, he's good, he's good. You know, and I talked to his son afterwards, and he was like, no, I, I he goes, well, I was, you know, he, he really loved the film and he he got it like and he understood it you know and so um so i think it has that reach i thank you so much for doing this man yeah man first of all it's good to see you it's great to see you i um when i was in town uh because my dad also my brother my dad's a huge fan of your show he watches your oh, show all the time huge thanks. huge fan of your show so we'll i be- know we i got to get you over there so you, so you can see the I'd love to got to get you cuz it's look it's so fun like, I knew it would be fun. Right. I knew it would be fun. I also knew it was going to be a lot of work. They were going to ask me to do a lot of stuff. But I, I covered those guys. So mm. I, was, I was a beat reporter okay. while those guys were players. So there's all this stuff that I knew. But now I'm getting context. Mm. I'm getting the stories. Our green room during a Bears game mm-hmm. is fucking unbelievable. Wow. Some of the stuff, like, I just sit and I try and just listen because they're seeing stuff at a speed. And you probably had the same experience with all the baseball players that you were around. I think I know football pretty well. For someone who didn't play at a high level, I think I know football pretty well. It's not even fucking close. Mm. They see stuff before it happens where I would recognize it, but I would need a replay. They're seeing it in real time. And they're able, like Alex is able to pick stuff out as the play is going on. Like, yep, that guy had the wrong technique. This is why this play didn't work. Blah, 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 blah. And they just, Lance is a lot of times half asleep watching the games and still is pointing out, well, 
you knew that play was going to fail because this guy wasn't in his gap and this guy had to cover him. So he, and I'm like, how the fuck did you see any of this? Uh It's, it is amazing. So I, I got to bring you guys in there to meet the boys because I would love to. They're so, they're so unbelievable. Like they're, and you know, Olin is like the scariest person on earth. Mm. You know, I mean, he really is. Like when he pl- and now I'm hearing some of the stories. Yeah. Like it's one thing where you think, like you you can kind of you walk to your room and you point out the toughest guy in the room, mm-hmm. and then you realize Olin's always the toughest guy in the room. Yeah, right. And that and that those guys, yeah. Matt and Lance and Alex, they're afraid of him. Right. And I and I look up and like Lance really he's like dude. <laughs> Dude, yeah, come on, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Owns that yeah. guy, man. Yeah. So yeah. it's 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 fun, man. I I appreciate that support that that you guys are watching and paying well, attention to what's going on. You're awesome, man. I mean, like my dad said, like he was he's talking about um, your show with Wanstead, right? Mm-hmm. And, it, and he's like, he's like, it's brilliant. Oh, he said that he's you. like he's like the way they break stuff down and talk. He's like, it's brilliant but you're awesome at what you do man Thank i mean you. i love watching you so when i come back because i can't watch you in i mean i will once in a while i'll i'll hit like once a week usually i'll hit you and bernstein on the the app yeah to listen in just to check in and get my little chicago fill you know so i'm hearing about the damn dodgers all the time that's all i hear about is the fucking dodgers you sound you and, know you sound like you sound like jake johnson <laughs> jake jake uh, and i we we text a little bit and he's like Everywhere, it's like everywhere in Hollywood. It's it's Dodgers, it's Lakers. He's like, I need my Bears. I need, you know, I need to be hearing about the Cubs in his Mm -hmm. case. Like, I need to be hearing Chicago. So that's not that's not the first time that I've heard that. Like, it's but I, I I hear that there's a pretty strong like Chicago contingent, huge out there in L.A. Yeah, when I mean, you know, and even this year, I think more so. I mean, certainly with the Cubs. But, uh, you know, uh, the White Sox, I got to travel a little farther because I got to go to Anaheim for that, usually, unless they're doing some kind of like, you know, interleague with, with the Dodgers. But wait, can you share with the podcast listeners uh, about you going to games and you trolling at games with, <laughs> yeah. with what you wear yes. to games? Yes. Yeah. And this is where I kind of was like, I don't think, Do- I mean, look, I'm making a blanket statement. There's some Dodger fans. I'm like, are you guys dumb? Because it was like, I was at a Dodgers game when they were playing the Cubs, and I went with this friend of mine. She she used to work for the Tribune, and she's a diehard Cubs fan. So we, like, go, and she brings her Cubs. And so I'm like, I hate the Cubs, so I wore my White Sox stuff. And I had some Dodgers fans heckling me, go back to Chicago. I go, dude, do you not read? I'm wearing White Sox stuff. I'm not a Cubs. I'm with you. I hope that they – and I didn't get it. I was just like, oh, God. But, yeah, I'll always um, – my favorite thing to do is to show up to Dodger Stadium wearing White Sox stuff when they play the Cubs. And, but I don't get it. Like, I'm like, some of these – but there's, this is the difference. So, at a Dodgers game, this is how it goes. Around the third inning, people show up. Unless you're in the, the nosebleed seats where you got the diehard – you know, the diehard people. Or your Mary Hart. <laughs> yeah, exactly. She's front row yeah, every game. Every game. Otherwise, they roll in in the third inning, uh, and then they leave around, like, the seventh or eighth. 
I mean, I'm just like, what is wrong with you people? So, yeah, so, like, when I'm standing up screaming for the Dodgers and my White Sox stuff and people are going, ah, sit down, you loser, I'm like, all right, you don't, you don't even understand We're baseball. supposed to be on the same side here. <laughs> yes, exactly. So, you know, but, uh, but yeah, that is, that is my favorite thing to do. Um, so, and look, I mean, I got to be honest. I'm a little excited about maybe just going to some Angels games this year, even if they're not playing the Sox. They got Madden. That team is going to compete till the end for sure Yep. with Madden there. People don't understand. So Joe and I, he was on my show every week. Right. So I did. Yeah, I got yeah, to yeah. host the Joe Madden show every week. Right. So I got to know Joe a little bit. Okay. He invited me down to the office over there. You know what's crazy? Joe even knew. He knew that I was a White Sox fan. And he was actually, like, cool with it. Like, he was busting my balls because there's this guy I used to play for when he was managing the Tampa Bay Rays uh, named Grant Balfour. And I fucking hate Grant Balfour <laughs> as a White Sox fan. Yeah. Like, I absolutely hate him. Yeah. And he had brought him up, and I was like, God, I hated that guy. And Joe was like, oh, yeah, I know. Everyone did. Yeah, right. And there's a reason why. Yeah. Like, he, yeah. he's so great. Like, you talk about people who are able to uh, – like you were talking about the director mm-hmm. and him setting the tempo and the and, and the way that, that everything's going to work. Joe is the best person in baseball for creating culture. Whatever mm. you need that word culture to mean, yeah. he is hands down the best guy at doing it. And when he came to the north side, I remember being like, yeah, they're going to win mm-hmm. because that guy – gets it mm-hmm. and he's able to get yeah, yeah get the most out of these guys and even sitting there where a lot of times you had heard Cubs managers be like oh yeah our our goal is to win the World Series and you didn't believe them right when Joe said it with the fucking glass yeah. of wine in his hand right. you were like yeah I kind of believe it I believe mm-hmm. that this might happen so I I adore him I'm sad he's not going to be with the Cubs I think everybody is I mean, I, I, you have to be. I mean, this is a great baseball mind. And I think – so in talking about directors, there's like a handful of directors who are the great directors, like Hitchcock, Orson Welles. Uh, I, I would – I don't even think Martin Scorsese is on this list. Stanley Kubrick. These, these guys who helped change the language of film. Like these are directors who made an impact on film and ch- Quentin Tarantino's on that list. Before Reservoir Dogs, and then after, everyone was writing scripts where people were just rambling about shit for, like, hours and hours. These monologues, but no one could do it like Quentin because he has a knack for writing. And no one had ever done snappy dialogue like that where someone just rambles. Like, you watch Reservoir Dogs, and what's at the beginning of the movie, and they're taught. I mean, this Keitel's just got this giant monologue, and they're just going around this table. It's all just talking, and it's brilliant. So you've got these handful of guys, they've helped change the language of film. Like, they've set it on a new course. I always thought Madden was like, if I could liken him to a film director, I would throw him in that category. Like, I think he's a dude who helped, um, I don't know if I'm putting it right, but changed the language of baseball or whatever. Like, I, he's taken it. He's an elite that is accurate. baseball mind guy, uh, even though I hate the Cubs, but I loved watching him. I loved listening to him. He was great. You know what? That's a funny thing, too. I think that that our crazy White Sox fandom mm-hmm. loves Joe. Yeah. I think that we like we're like, you know what? He's all right. Like that's we're like 
like, why, why don't we have one of those? I was, I was, I was lobbying. I was out here on the air being like, you know, it would suck for Ricky, but the second time Ricky would just go hang himself at that point. I, I He'd be mean, like, oh, you know what? I'm done with life. But I was out here like, if Joe's available, I mean, right. you might as well at least have a conversation with him. I knew again, this was, you know, when I, when I, my brief, you know, talks with Backman. <laughs> Super Batman with Wally about the way I knew it wasn't going to happen. Yeah, I knew, I knew it would not happen because no, that's I, how they are over there. And I, they're just, I you knew know. too. It just, it just was like it just made all the sense I in know, the world. I know. If you haven't been to Madden's restaurant, by the way, Madden's Post. I heard about. It. Where is it? At? It's, it's literally right next to Wrigley. It's on the corner of Waveland that's and Clark. Right. One of the best burgers I've ever had, huh. and they did. Um, my wife got. They do lasagna rolls. Hmm. So they do like a, a little bit of a lasagna, and then it's got like a citrusy zest to it. Wow. The menu is because Joe's half Italian, half Polish. Mm. So you get a little bit of, of both. Potato pancakes, out of this world. And, and someone said, well, you're not going to close up. I was like, he has a restaurant in Tampa. That's one of the best restaurants <laughs> yeah. Yeah. in Tampa. Yeah. His restaurant's not going anywhere. He's the manager that won the fucking World Series. Yeah. His restaurant's going to be Mike Ditka's restaurant is just now closing in Chicago, and it's only closing because it's too damn expensive right. for that real estate that yeah. they have. But the one in Oak Brook's uh-huh. going to be just fine. Yeah, no doubt. Is it, well, that's where you're sort of like Joe Madden's like that SNL skit, Bill Brasky. He can do anything. He can wrestle bears. He can birth. <laughs> Birthed the mother with 12 children inside her. You know, whatever these stuff. Like, he could do, like, literally the dude can't do any wrong, you know. But speaking of which, I do have to ask. All right, am I going to do that? I need to throw the pitch out at the White Sox game this year. Yes, I really want you to do that. And I'm going to, I'm going to, here's what I'm going to do. We're hearing it, kids, right here on the. I'm taking the portion (laughs) of the pod where you were like, I go to Dodgers games. When they're playing the Cubs right. wearing White Sox gear. Yeah. I'm going to put that nice little MP3 mm-hmm. to the people that matter over okay. on 35th and Shields. Right. Steak dinner. Boom. Done. And Watch. Of, and, of course, when I'm doing it, you'll be there. Yeah. So we'll, we'll hang. I got to throw out the first pitch over there. Oh, you did? Okay. Yeah. yeah. I want a contest, though. Oh, you want a contest? They had, like, a media contest. Oh. So they, they did this whole thing where it was like we were have they had, like, a bracket. Like who could throw out the the best first pitch? And I was like, I'm a ringer, so I'm gonna right. I'm gonna go in there. And so the first couple couple times, I just tossed it. Yeah. It's just like let me, I'll just throw it over the plate from the mound. Right. And not a lot of people can do that. Right. Yeah. And so the last time the championship rounds, me and Jen Latta from ESPN, who's right. just a sweetheart, uh, and she she got it to the plate too. Like she was not messing around. And I said to Sale because Sale was catching it. Oh, wow. I said to Sale, I said, listen, can I let one go? And he goes, what? I said, can I really throw one? And he's like, okay. He's like, but I got a rule. He's like, I'm not wearing a cup. So if you bounce it, I'm going to kick your ass. I was like, And he means it. No, he meant it. Yeah, he's like a Roger Clemens old school dude. Yeah, and I was like, totally fair, not a problem. So I threw him uh, – what you know, when I pitched, I used to call it a straight ball because it's not very fast. Uh, <laughs> a straight ball. But, but I, I, I threw him a cutter. Okay. All right. I threw him a cut fastball. And 
he caught it. I gotta see. I'll send you the video. I want to see this because the look on his face was like, "Holy shit!" Right. And then he came back to the mound and he goes, "Did you fucking throw me a cutter?" And I and I <laughs> said, "Yes." And he's like, we, you know, like that could have gone real wrong." Yeah, you know, right. and he could have hit me in the balls. I was like, I wasn't going to hit you in the balls. He's like, yeah. that was a pretty good pitch. I was like, yeah. thanks. And all I wanted was to make my miles per hour faster than Kevin Hart's. Yeah. Speaking of worst, and I know we're wrapping up, but I do have to say, but worst celebrity uh, pitch ever was Bruce Willis. Oh, it doesn't that break your heart? And it's so sad. It breaks you because you're like, he's the toughest dude ever. And it was hands down the most brutal throw you've ever, like, it was almost like he was shot putting it or something. Yes. It was weird. (laughs) You ever see basketball players try to throw out a first pitch? No. It's amazing because they have no concept. (laughs) Well. And I mean, I know that their hands are super big, but still, it's like you've never played catch Ever? Yeah. Like, it's not even close. Well, you could have said the same thing about watching Jordan play right field. Yeah. <laughs> and he played for the that – was, yeah. that was heartbreaking. You're like, ah, oh, dude, it no, def- don't do it. It definitely broke all of our hearts. Yeah, don't do it. But, yeah, the White Sox, hopefully they'll have me because they had my boy last year, Joe Sakura, who's Tommy on power, and he hates the White Sox. He's a Cub guy, He's a right? Cu- he, yeah, he when they won the World Series in 05, he stormed out of the room pissed. He was angry. He was so mad. You got to throw out the first pitch, man. Come uh, on. We, you got to get They got to get me. No, nah, we're, yeah. we're getting you over there for yeah. sure. Wind's high and outside coming out. So um, it's going to come out with the start of spring training. So end of February, early March, it'll be on all platforms. It'll be on um, all VOD. So Xfinity, Comcast, whatever it is, um, Netflix, Redbox, Amazon. It'll be on Walmart, on Blu-ray, Target. You know, it'll, literally you'll be able to get it everywhere. Good. So it'll be uh, it'll be out there. Thank you for this, Lawrence. Thank you for having me, man. I appreciate you. It's so good to see you. Yeah, ditto. I'm ditto. I'm really happy that you continue to succeed the way that you are. Thank you. It means a lot, man. man. And, and I and it's and I mean it, it is a huge deal to have this support. So thanks for you know loving on me and 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 supporting the film and in even the director and the producer I told them I was coming they were like really happy good you know so I preach we, the gospel we, of this movie man it's a lot you. of fun and it's thank really you. interesting and look I don't even think you you given you given it justice mm. this is a dark fucking movie yeah it's dark. And and I think that people are going to appreciate what you did in this movie. I'll be interested to see once it comes out with this next baseball season how much people pick up on it and talk about it. I'll be very interested. Because I know there's not a lot of baseball movies that come out. So when they do come out, people do watch them. And most of the time they're not very good. So I'll, I'm excited. I am, and I'm, and I'm pretty pessimistic usually. But I, you know, just in general with stuff that I do because, you know, you get your gotcha. heart broken. So, but I really feel, I mean, we had such great success with this film on the festival circuit. The critics have just lauded this thing. So I'm feeling good about this one. So, oh, yeah. Good. Well, thank you, sir. Thank you. So that's Phil and all of Phil's crazy stories from himself getting ready for this film. Again, the, the name of the film is called High and Outside. And it's going to be available on demand. And when you see it, I want you to hit me up and just tell me what you thought of it. Because I I thought it was really, really fun and dark in a different type of baseball movie. I'm glad that that Phil had, and his brother, you heard his brother in there, 
had a chance to stop by. What's crazy is, is as we're sitting there in the hallway, Terry Hemmert just happened to be there. And I'm just sitting there because I haven't seen Terry in a little bit because she's, you know, she's cut back her schedule at XRT. And Terry, here's the thing that you don't know about Terry Hemmert. She kind of knows everything about baseball. So her and Phil were just like talking about baseball and it was really, really great. It was a, a really great vibe around his visit to the studio. I'm glad that he had time to to make it happen. I, I hope the best for Phil because he's just genuinely a good dude. And uh, I'm appreciative that I've gotten to know him over the last year. And when High and Outside comes out, I want you to watch it. I want you to tell people about it. And I want you to, to check it out on demand. All right? All right. High and Outside is the name of it. Okay, let me check an email here. This from Micah. So Micah says, hey, Lawrence, love the show. Been listening from the beginning, and it gets better and better. My favorite episode is the Black Like Me one because your story related to me so much and came out right at the time I was hanging with some Tanzanians. Anywho, don't know why I haven't thought about this sooner, but I think a great guest for the pod would be Mr. Spice Adams. I'm sure it'll be full of laughs if it were possible to get him on. Also realize we never got the episode where Panther interviews you. Was that replaced with you getting interviewed by your students? Thanks for being you, and thanks for all the great content you provide. Micah, you ask some great questions, so let me answer them. I'll start with uh, number one. Thanks for, for enjoying the Black Like Me episode. I was thinking about that the other day, and I'm glad that you got an opportunity to go enjoy Tanzania. I don't know if I'll ever make it to Africa because I don't think I could handle being an airplane that long or I guess technically two airplanes that long. But I have friends that have gone to Tanzania and Mozambique and South Africa. And my best friend's family is from Ghana. She'll be episode 100. Um, I don't know if I can handle it. I've been slacking on not going to Hawaii because I'm afraid to be in a plane that long. My max is like five hours. I can handle five hours. I can't. We'll see because Panther would like to go to uh, Columbia at some point. Maybe I'll, maybe we'll do that. Maybe that's the, the flight I can actually handle, and we'll see what happens after that. Anywho, anywho, as you would say, Spice Adams. I was actually, humble brag, hanging out with Spice on New Year's Eve. Uh, Charles Tillman, humble brag. Had a little get-together, and he was there. Alex Brown was there. We had a a good time. And Spice's wife, Mrs. Spice, she really loves the podcast. So shout-out to AC for her support. So she listens to the podcast and to the show, and she watches all the shows, which is great. And I'm trying to convince her and Alex's wife and Charles's wife to do an episode of the podcast. But, yes, Spice is on the list. It's really a matter of his schedule is really busy, and I don't want to infringe on our friendship that much by asking him to do this. But he is a highly requested guest for this podcast. So I think we're going to make it happen sooner rather than later. As for the Panther episode, it's coming. We just don't know when. It's going to happen. We've been discussing it. And I've been discussing terms. (laughs) 
what I what I will and will not answer. But I think that what would be cool is since I have the at least one of have one of my available studios set up in my house that we just sit on the couch and talk. So we'll see. We'll see how she feels about that. And since my best friend got episode 100, I asked her if she wanted episode 99 or episode 101. So we'll see what she ends up deciding. We got a few weeks until we have to 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 make a decision. But I can tell you, and I thank you very much for the email. If you'd like to email the podcast, House of L podcast at gmail.com. And I've been trying for months now. Why won't you guys send me audio so I can put the audio into the show and then answer the question? House of L podcast at gmail.com. Anyway, I thank Micah for his uh, appreciation of the podcast and his interest in who gets to hang out on the podcast next. That'll do it for episode 88. I can tell you that I'm a few weeks ahead of schedule with some guests and some ideas. So there's going to be a lot of good ones coming up over the next couple of weeks, man. I sat down with one character. Oof, I think you're going to love it. I plan on doing an episode on on uh, the, the art of play-by-play and color analysis. I got some great guests coming up, man. These are good times for the House of L podcast. So thank you for listening. I appreciate it. See you in episode 89, which will be next week. Hey!